All right, a couple of announcements for you as you're turning to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we have a couple of uh, ministry opportunities as we continue as part of Calvary Chapel Fargo, Calvary Chapel Grand Forks together. Uh, we are going to share the gospel to Wapiton, North Dakota. Uh, the word for Wapiton uh, on August 20th, and that is going to be an afternoon outreach. Uh, we plan to have a burger stand, a well, food, a church food stand, and whatever we actually give away for food that day, a uh, gospel booth, and we're going to have, if we can, a uh, a music stage where we can have our our uh, music playing that day in Wapiton. So that's kind of the plan. If you want to put that on your calendar and, and get that date all set, and that you're aware of that. Uh, I also want to make sure you all know that you're invited to the church retreat at Bellevue, Nebraska, otherwise known as the Bible Conference. I call it the Omaha Conference because that's what I called it from the beginning, and I have a hard time changing the name. Um, So we're going to be headed there. That is September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. That is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And you can save the date on your calendars. Uh, The information is on our church calendar. We do not have a schedule yet. And as far as I know, last I checked, Steve did not have any hotel information up yet. I know we have some people who are chomping at the bit to reserve their hotels early. So I have a feeling the good hotels are going to be gone right away uh, concerning the, the hotel environment now out there. And But you also can do a family stay. If you've ever done that, they do open up some of their homes uh, to to uh, have uh, really a a low-cost option if you want to come down to the conference. Again, those dates are September 22, 23, 24. And then, ladies, the women's retreat is coming up. That is uh, October 21, 22, 23, if I have the right dates, right? So that's October, so that's a ways out. However, it's uh, by way of announcement because now's the time to sign up. The uh, sign-up actually begins now, and your, the first payment to reserve the spot is due today. You should have received an email from Tanya if you're a part of the women's ministry email list, and it is a digital brochure. So do not ignore your your messages from, from Tanya and women's ministry. Uh, the actual brochure is not on the website, and so this is... This is an invite from the ladies. So, ladies, if you did not receive that email, ask Tanya. She'll forward over you the email for the electronic brochure, and you can uh, plan to partake of that in October. Uh, the theme for that is none of these things move me from Acts 20, verse 24. And this is going to be a little bit different this year, ladies. Uh, the the pastor's wives uh, from the four churches that are partaking of this this year, each one of them have a session. So there's going to be uh, uh, not not flying in some big wig named June from California. <laughs> Just the, the little peoples will be uh, the little peoples will be teaching this weekend or uh, that weekend. So. <laughs> I don't know. I have to compose myself now. A big wig. There you go. Did you, what made you think that these announcements were interactive? I didn't say the date. That's all right. Does anybody else know? Maybe I didn't say it. When is it? August 
There you go. I must have said it. What page is the Bible study on? 1432. All right. Chris, you on the same page? You, Thompson Chain? What's that? Okay, very good. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. Lord, I thank you for the study of the book of Acts. And we, we desire tonight, Lord, to continue that course of learning uh, the working of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church and its continuation in our lives, that the same things that we see, hear, and learn uh, really in the scriptures, what you did, and, and then when the apostles went forth, the, that we can see uh, the working of the Spirit to, to, to preach Christ throughout the world. We thank you for the truths that are found in your scripture, Lord, but most, most of all, we're thankful that your word is truth. We glorify you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so tonight, no surprise uh, church letter of Revelation together with the study of the book of Acts like we've done the last two weeks. Maybe you really like that. We're hoping we'd have another look at that. Um, well, we, we, we turn a corner when we get to Acts chapter 9, but it's probably the most beautiful corner as far as we're concerned. And what it comes down to is we see uh, at the close of the end of, of Acts chapter 8, in the, in the really from 7 into 8, how Stephen was, was martyred and the persecution that arose from the hands of this man named Saul of Tarsus, in chapter 8, that caused the church to be scattered. And we learned a lot in chapter 8 that we still need to hold to as a church concerning the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, to send out individuals, to have the Spirit lead and guide our lives, and to have that work as we go and share the gospel. Maybe it's with one person. And out of this that has come from from 7 and then 8 and 9, the, the church really is on the move. Now, I don't know if they ever intended that, and sometimes in our lives, we don't intend to be on the move, but God has a way of uh, shaking up the basket, if you will, sometimes, stirring us up, moving us along, circumstances, things change, and, and we learn from these things. Now, I, I thought about this often concerning if the gospel had only stayed with Israel, if it was only amongst Israel that they had been saved, and, and it really was that way for about the first 15 years of the church. Everyone being saved are those who are Jews. They're, they're in the, the system of Judaism. They, they go up to temple. I mean, this is the work that's done amongst, really amongst Israel. And we would maybe just let that all sort of just set right there, but God does not. Because remember what Jesus said, go into all the world. Uh, I think Mark's gospel records that Jesus said, preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I like this part of what God does about that in that through the persecution of the church, he, he starts to scatter the church. And we find that Jesus, what he said concerning the Holy Spirit and that they would be witnesses unto Jesus in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem. But then this whole uttermost parts of the world starts to click in when we begin in chapter 9. Now, I like this because we live in the uttermost parts of the world. If we really understand not just us here, but we are so remote as far as from from the the center of what God did in starting with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's what is it? 
It's an 11-hour flight. It's eight hours of time zone. I mean, we're a third of the way around the world compared to where this all took place, and we're separated by time, and yet this truth remains that that uh, maybe if it wasn't for Acts chapter 9, we would not have responded to the gospel the way that we do. Now, if you thought you were a good person and you, you slipped into, you know, my parents took me to church, I heard the gospel, I got saved, I've always been a good person. Now, then Acts chapter 9 means nothing to you. However, what we see in Acts chapter 9 is we see what, what Jesus Christ himself does in order to reach out to, to one who was formerly an enemy, one who was killing the Christians, and, and bringing the gospel not just to him, but then using his life to take the gospel out in this way. And, and this is a great perspective to have that the idea of preaching the gospel to every creature and not, not looking for the you know, nice people to preach the gospel unto, but rather to take this gospel into all places and corners of the world, into every environment of trouble, of sin. I mean, think about it. Think of those missionaries who are going to reach the remote tribes of the people of the earth, and those remote tribes are worshiping other spirits, and those remote tribes are killing other people. You might take a view of this and say, well, it seems like God only saves the godly. But then you read Acts 9, and you're like, this gospel's for everybody. And that's what's changed everything as far as as, as the Gentile church has ever received. But we can't revert back to something that says, well, this is just, this gospel is just for the elect. Do you realize just how much neo-Calvinism has affected the, the whole mentality of going forth and going out and preaching Christ to every creature when they've limited the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross, saying that it only died for some people? Now, I read Acts chapter 9, and you would never predict this. You would never say that that was the one that was so close to being saved, you'd look at him and say, stay away from that man. He came to harm us. Well, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's how it begins. Saul did not stop after the killing of Stephen. In fact, he was, if you will, encouraged that that he was going to put an end to this. Remember Gamaliel's words? Speak nothing against them, lest this be of God. What's Saul decided? I'm going to make an end of this. And he goes after this with zeal. And he gets permission in the form of letters from the high priest. So the high priest gives a letter. He can go to the synagogues that are in Damascus. And with those letters, if he finds anybody of the way, this is how the church is known. And literally, those in Judaism are looking at at the believers of Jesus Christ, Jews following Jesus, describing them. Well, they're those that that's the way that they live. And they look at it as a sect, a division. Uh, in our in our case, that's another denomination. That's a denomination that we would look at. So they're not quite right. That's what Saul is saying. But not quite right to the point where he's getting permission to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, as we're introduced to that, um, just so you get the sense of Saul, that heavy breathing, literally, or that that breathing threats is like heavy breathing. This is. This is anger. He, he's doing this with zeal, and and he wants to destroy. Excuse me. Uh, he wants to destroy the church. I need a pastor's water break here. 
But the other thing we realize, Damascus. So what is that, 60 miles due north of Jerusalem, basically? So the gospel is spread to Damascus. So we, we talk about Samaria, but Damascus is outside of, of Israel. Damascus is in that place, and, and certainly there's Jews living there. We need to understand, after the dispersion, when Israel is scattered in the days, in the days of, of Babylon, in six, uh, 686, the Jews go everywhere. Now, not all the Jews come back. That means that there were Jews in every major city where they had been scattered. And what we find out is that Saul is looking if there are other believers there. And what's the idea? Because he's heard the report. There are those following Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus. He comes near Damascus. And instead of going in to capture and take and imprison all those of the way, he has a light suddenly shine around him. A light, a suddenly a light shone round him from heaven. Now, it's said as he talks about this later on, again, where? Acts 22, when he's given testimony before Israel. That's a great time to use your testimony. And then when he's before, I think it's Agrippa in, in Acts 26. I'm not sure if I have it, Agrippa or Felix. And he begins to describe what happened on that day. In fact, one place he describes it, at noonday, a light shines so bright. I mean, a light that overshadows noonday. And here he clearly says it's from heaven. It's Agrippa. Yeah. So this is this is a light that is so shining bright that that literally he ends up takes away his sight, we find that out, but immediately he falls to the ground and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I think the King James used the words that are pricks. The idea of a sharp, a stick with a sharp end that, that one who would be plowing with the oxen in the field in order to keep those oxen moving, keep the plow going. I mean, can you imagine oxen plowing a field and, and that get to some tough ground or that oxen is tired and then the one who's keeping that thing going? And, and this is what Jesus describes that, that Saul has been doing. That means that Jesus has in where Saul has been around seeing these things. He's had to actually fight against what he was being prodded to believe. Now, we come to this place concerning Paul's, well, I'll say Paul and Saul interchange him freely. He's been persecuting the church, but look at Jesus' perspective. He says, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is great for us, especially, and I probably could have tied this together to the church that was persecuted in the book of Revelation, because, I mean, the promise to the church that's persecuted is Jesus is with them. And it goes all the way back to here. When Saul is persecuting the church, Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And this is that place to come against Jesus is to come, to come against the church is to come against Jesus. And this is a great understanding for us because, uh, there are going to be others who listen to this and follow this, and they're going to hear the gospel, and they're going to go forth with the gospel, and they're going to be persecuted by governments. They're going to be persecuted by, by churches or synagogues, again, throughout history. You do realize that the Catholic Church in history has been one of the greatest persecutors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, when we talk like this, and, and, and many things were done throughout history, we come to Acts 10, and it, when I say turn a corner, I mean, I'm going to say this, life-changing. That one like Saul could have such a, a repentance, a U-turn on the road of life, from one who was going off to kill those who followed Jesus, to in one moment not, <clears throat> not be going that path of killing those that follow Jesus, but himself, to do such a turn that he himself follows Jesus. And this is the beginning of it. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, when does this take place? The moment he says, who are you, Lord? Right? When he writes, when Saul, when Paul writes to the church of Corinth, you know what he says to them? He says, when he wants to describe unto them what it means for them to be spirit-filled, what it means for them to be led by the Spirit of God, and he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he leads up to that and hey, when you were unbelievers, when you were Gentiles, you were led by whatever you desired. My paraphrase. But then he goes on to say, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know what Saul acknowledges in that moment? He acknowledges, and I believe that's what's taken place for him, when that bright light shines, he hears the voice, and it's personal. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And isn't that the way it is when you got saved? There was something very personal when the Holy Spirit brought conviction of your life upon sin, And when the Holy Spirit drew near to convict you of sin, it wasn't some sin in a general sense. Yes, I know I need Jesus. In that conviction, a lot of times it was something specific like how I am. I know I've done this. I know this is contrary to God. And that conviction was I need to do something about that. Well, what we don't know, and so then we can't talk much about it, was Paul there watching the crucifixion? Can you imagine that? That that seeing Jesus die on the cross. Now, in concerning if Saul was there, and he could have easily been there, we don't know that for sure, but we do know he was there for Stephen. Watching Stephen, shining face. I mean, how do you seek to to deny? I mean, he's not a a Sadducee. He's a Pharisee. He believes in the supernatural. He believes in angels. (coughs) I don't want any of you reporting me to the pastor's union that I had two uh, water breaks early on in the service. So. No reports. So in this place of witnessing Stephen's death, I, I believe this is what Jesus is talking about. Why are you persecuting me? But that second one, kicking against the goads. I believe that you see, when he saw Stephen die and he had to come to that, Conclusion, and he went to get rid of Jesus Christ in Judaism. And that's what he set about to do. Well, his response there in verse 6, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, I love this immediate response. And again, I'm, I'm going to quote Pastor Chuck here as I've been taking his commentary. And again, by way of handing it off, Calvary Chapel pastor, I didn't have a personal relationship with Pastor Chuck, but he wanted the pastors of Calvary Chapel, if he could have a personal contact with him, he wanted it over the book of Acts. And I see why. Paul's conversion happened the moment he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. That's what salvation is all about. Surrendering yourself to Jesus, acknowledging him as the Lord of your life. Instantaneously, your sins are forgiven. Do you see why I talk about why neo-Calvinism has had such an impact upon the youngins who haven't come to their great need to be born again? 
And you know what happens with neo-Calvinism? What is neo-Calvinism? It's the twisted Calvinism that all the young people like that say, I was always saved. Never had to do a thing. How do you know that you were always saved? Well, I go to church. What does it do? Puts the gospel upside down. Puts the gospel upside down. Well, sure, I believe the gospel because I'm here. Rather than, I like about Acts chapter 9, it's the acknowledgement, Jesus is Lord. Something very clear, without repentance, right? Is there really a remission of sin? And so what I see with Saul is a repentance. He had been fighting against Jesus. He had, God was working on him. And as I say that, instantaneously your sins are forgiven, and now you're a child of God. I was sharing with somebody today, she's been coming to church for a while, and have not sat down with her yet to find out, are you born again? I said, concerning, have you experienced what we call regeneration? Because I actually had talked about uh, Titus's verse today. Regeneration is a Bible word. And she said, I think so, but can you explain to me what it is? And I explained it to her, and she's like, yes, I've done that. See, and you know how important that is? What am I doing for her? I, I'm not neo, neo-Calvinistic at all. I, I'm not a five-point Calvinist. I'm not a four-point Calvinist. I'm not a three-point Calvinist. I don't believe in any of their points because the conclusions that are driven by, from them are used to tell people that they're already saved and it keeps them from responding to the gospel. Why is this life-changing when you get Acts 9? Because we see Saul respond to Jesus Christ concerning how he'd been living his life contrary to the Lord when, when God was showing him how to live. And he was seeing those that would live in the power of the Spirit and those that were born of Jesus. He saw them, and, and he was fighting against all that. So in this instantaneous experience, it's not a process. Now, that's important, is it not? I mean, to me, when you start saying, you know, I was saved when I truly understood. Then you're, you're disagreeing with the Bible. See, you're saved when Jesus saved you. And how do you know that he saved you? The moment you said, you are Lord of my life. And what's leading up to that is, hearing the gospel, you recognize I'm contrary to him. He forgives my sin. I need to repent of my ways. I need to repent of my unbelief concerning Jesus Christ. And upon that faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging that he's Lord of my life, instantaneously saved. Now, that might not be a big deal deal to you who are already saved, but it's very important for me as we go forth with this in the book of Acts. And if we can change, if we can track, if we only have our doctrines back to the history of the church, something's wrong. If what we believe doesn't agree with the Bible, and because how do you know those that came before you in church history that they actually had received the truth of the scriptures. I go back to this, and I see it with with Saul. It takes place the very moment you confess Jesus as Lord. Later on, Paul writes that salvation is not hard to attain, nor is it high in the heavens that someone must bring it down to us. He says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart, the word of faith with which we preach. That's Romans 10.8. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, we come to this place of of acknowledging, and to me, I love church like this. I love having church filled up with sinners who've repented. Repented sinners. 
Okay, because when you when you start church with everybody was just in church, you have no idea. It's John Stott who who went to somewhere in, in Ireland, I believe, or no, he was Scotland. And it was said of him when he went out there to pastor this church in the denomination, it was said to him, he said, nothing less than even if the apostle Paul was there, this, this people would not be saved. He, he shows up good, then it's going to take, take the power of the Holy Spirit to make a change there. He started preaching to the sheep and the goats. He turns out everybody in church had not been saved. The denomination was so dead when he showed up, they were not regenerated. So what did he do? Every sermon when he started was preaching the gospel. And they were like quite upset at him because he kept preaching the gospel. He says, I'm going to preach this until you get saved. Now, that church from that time forward, everyone in the church got saved. And get this, in the time period of which he pastored the church some 50 years, that church ended when he was done because in his later years, nobody was left in the church because everybody had been called and sent out around the world. Now, that's cool, right? That's the power of God. That's unique. What I see in this, where the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone, and you know why, why I, you know, I read the book Harvest, which gives a record of what happened with Calvary Chapel in the beginning. I don't get troubled over sinners that were like horrible sinners now pastoring churches, because I see in Acts 9, I see the Apostle Paul, a horrible sinner, a murderer, trying to destroy the church, get saved. And, and what is he told to do? Arise, go in the city, and I'll tell you what you should do next. Verse 6. Now, I love this. Is he an apostle? Yeah, he saw the Lord. When did he see the Lord? On the road to Damascus. When he explains that to the church of Corinth, how he, being apostle to the Gentiles, he describes one who was born out of undue time. Jesus himself came to him and met him on the road and was bright shining light and heard a voice that the others didn't hear. That's Jesus who met with him and that's when he was called to be an apostle. The men who were with him journeyed. They stood speechless. They heard a voice, but they, they didn't see anybody. That bright shining light really was for Saul. Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, couldn't see. His eyes were open. He saw no one. So they led him, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. Now, why do I love church filled with repentant sinners? Man, because it's this truth. Only Jesus can cause such a dramatic or drastic change in a person's life. Do you know when church has been around for a while and the people that are in church are the people who were, you know, they were born to the families in church and that's the... Only the people who are in church, and it's just they were born there. It is so easy to miss this that you realize, like, where is this happening? And this is why the gospel goes forth. This is why we preach Christ. This is why we, I, I look at things as a target-rich environment. Who, who should we preach the gospel to? Well, when we started doing outreach, the beginning of the outreach, where we started with this in Fargo-Moorhead, we, we picked the worst neighborhood we could think of uh, in Moorhead, we lived in Moorhead at the time, and we went to that neighborhood and we started to preach Christ to the people who would come out to that neighborhood. And we went every Friday night for about three years, two or three years, just every Friday night, preaching the gospel, sharing our faith. And we started to feed the kids who came out to the park. 
we started playing volleyball and soccer and basketball, and we started to feed the kids. And then the kids took food home to their parents, and then the next week their parents are out there, and we're feeding them. And then the local Wiccan comes out, and we're feeding him. And then the crackheads come out, and we're feeding them. And we're leading people to Jesus Christ. And we're, we're watching this. Where do you take the gospel? Do you, only, do you only want nice, good people in church? So there's a group in Fargo-Moorhead that has a, they've developed a ministry called Churches United for the Homeless. And, and a bunch of churches gather together to pool their resources in order to have a place to minister the, the physical needs of the homeless. But I'm convinced that a part behind that in the forming of that was we don't want them in our church. That's, that's just my, that's my take. Now, I, without Acts 9, none of us are here, right? Without Acts 9, who, who takes the gospel out? Well, God would have sent somebody else, wouldn't have he? Because that's the way he is. But when you see one like, like Saul that was formerly an enemy now becomes one of his servants, Book Harvest, I talked about it, it's a record of, of the men like Steve Mays, uh, who was shot and left for dead in the gutter because he owed money to, I think it was either drugs or gambling. I don't remember which one it was. And he's left in the gutter dead to die. But a couple from Calvary Chapel who'd been listening to a sermon from their pastor about the Good Samaritan goes out and picks this guy up out of the gutter, bring him to health, get him to the hospital, and he becomes a pastor at Calvary Chapel South Bay. He's home with the Lord now, but again, over and over this repeated, and what is it? It's the work of God. Jesus drastically, dramatically changes a person's life the moment that person surrenders. Now, we come to this place of, uh, which I bring it up right here because it's one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Almost every morning I will see 5.17 on my clock. Or if I'm close, I just, again, I just, I want to wake up with the word of God. Because I grew up in such a way in a church that was unsaved, if you can imagine that. So when I got saved and then, and then I ran away from him, when he came and got me, I did a major U-turn on the road of life. I was, I was going to go live for the pleasures of this life and attain it all. But then he came and got me and he turned me and now I get to serve the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, right? A new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What was three days with Saul? Didn't eat or drink a thing. Verse 9. Can't see anything. So he's blind, led in Damascus. Uh, I'm guessing he had some meetings planned right away to find out who was who. Couldn't see him, right? But this has overtaken him. When he met Jesus on the road, did you catch that? He's flat on his face. I mean, he's, he's undone in an instant. I don't know what you thought it would be like if Jesus truly met with you. And how does Jesus meet with his enemies? And here he'd been poking at Saul. And then that one day, right there, so he's not eating or drinking. Now there's a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Now, haven't heard of him before, won't hear of him again. Just, just some, any disciple. Now, I like this too, because many times you can talk about the book Harvest, and guess who the book Harvest is written about? It's written about those well-known pastors who came from the farthest in the pit to the highest of, of serving. 
right? The greatest change. Why are we talking about Saul? Greatest change. But along the way, you have this Ananias who's just any one of us that listens to the Spirit of God, who has a relationship with the Lord, that the Lord can talk with any one of us, go and do this. And I like that. And I'm drawn to that type of, I I don't really ever want to be somebody great and known. I don't want to, you know, I came from the lowest of low and I'm this famous. I don't want that. But I want to obey the Lord and I I want to hear him and I want my life to be obedient. And that's what happens. The Lord says to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. Now, a vision. So it's not a dream, but it's like the elements of a dream while you're awake. That's a vision. When Peter was kind of in that in-between, between sleep and awake, he gets this, he says he almost like a trance. That's the way he kind of describes it. And that's when he saw, and it's a vision, he saw the sheet come down from heaven with all the unclean animals. And, and so he was kind of right in that between. Here Ananias clearly hears the Lord talk to him, and he speaks to him in a vision. And I'm, I'm not opposed to a vision. I, I don't get him. But, I mean, if the Lord wants to show me a vision, maybe maybe he's shown me something that I can't see. But that's what happens there. The Lord said to Ananias, arise and go to the street called Straight. Turns out in studying this, doing the, the research, the street called Straight is still in Damascus. In fact, Damascus is the oldest continuously inhabited city on the planet. That place... Until Isaiah 17 is fulfilled, right? Yeah. So you look at these things and, and, and you think of why that prophecy and, and he goes to that, that street called Straight and he's told to inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. And look at that last phrase in, in 11. For behold, he's praying. Can't see is not eating and drinking. What is he's fasting and praying. Now, quite a contrast to the Words of warning that Jesus gave to the hypocritical Pharisees, is it not? Who loved to stand on the street corners and then announce to everybody when they were fasting and praying that they were a holy man. Hey, holy man's fasting this month. Hey, come on, holy man's praying. Get out of the way. Hey, guys, come and see the holy man pray in the corner. How do you know he's fasting? Oh, you can tell because he looks famished. This one, I, I love this about Jesus. And isn't this, I mean, why, why did it work so well with Calvary Chapel when it did? Because the spirit of Jesus wanted to save people, right? Why did it work so well with Saul? Because Jesus wanted to save people. And those crunchy wineskins that were, were all dried up and didn't want the homeless, didn't want the... The, the outcasts didn't want all these transient youth running all over the country, didn't want them around. Their long hairs and started to go through. They stink. They smell. They're hippies and all these words and drugs and, uh, and the sex and all the things that they're doing. And, and you look at this, even, even within Calvary Chapel, when, when the hippies started coming, some on the board said to Pastor Chuck, if they're coming in here, they have to have shoes on. We paid so many thousands of dollars for that carpet their shoot, their bare feet, and all the, they're going to wreck the carpet. You know what Pastor Chuck did? Pulled out the carpet. See, and this is the thing that you come to this, and he was praying. And this is real prayer. And what is it? It was real repentance. It was real power of the Spirit. I loved sitting and talking. Uh, in, in March, I was with John Higgins and Chuck Gerard. Chuck Gerard was... Love Song, one of the first musician bands. And Chuck Gerard was giving testimony of, of how the Spirit 
was in the music and how, how Satan was right there. He said one time he was up, he smoked, was smoking weed and was high and up overlooking the hill and just talking about how wonderful life is and just kind of out of the, just out of his mouth. And it was playing a song and he said in the darkness of the false spirits and, and demonic spirits overtook him and he's like, playing, and he stopped playing and it would lift and he'd play again and he's like, in that, under the influence of drugs and he's like, this is real stuff. And as at that point where he was hearing the gospel, where he was being poked with the goad. And so he was talking about that. And then different things would come up with John and Chuck. And John tells stories of the Shiloh house. And, and, and you look at that, and it comes down, what are we reading in, in the book of Acts? This is what we're reading. Saul, who was breathing murderous threats, gets saved. And there's no Pharisee praying here. There's no, I hope, I hope that the order stays together in church. I hope that people wear ties and cut their hair. None of that. It was he's undone and he's fasting and he's praying. Now you see why I love Acts chapter 9. Because, man, I, I don't know if there would have been another group that would have taken me to pastor or given me a shot at this. But I had a real genuine thing happen in my life concerning it, knowing I was saved, having run away. And the moment that I turned, my brother was right there with the word of God. And the spirit began to teach me almost instantly about about Jesus in the word. So God's working on both ends. We see it in verse 12. In a vision, right? So Paul, um, excuse me, Jesus is telling Ananias that Paul has had a vision. So as he's praying, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, I have no idea if Ananias has ever done a miracle before in his life. But he simply is instructed. And I'm going to say this. It's not Ananias who has the power to do this. But all he needs to do is obey the Spirit. Now, I don't know how you look at people. I mean, you, you think that, I mean, the church now loves big churches and loves superstars and superstar musicians and superstar churches, right? We've almost accustomed to Christian celebrityism. And I, I, I love what my pastor, uh, I think one of the last times he saw Pastor Chuck uh, at the Midwest Pastors Conference. And, and many times when, I mean, this Calvary Chapel, a lot of us were so thankful for what had come through Chuck and the ministry and just spread out. And a lot of people were going up and saying hi to him and, and they were getting their picture with Pastor Chuck. And, and my pastor goes up and says, hey, uh, hey, Chuck, can we get a picture? Can can Kimberly and I get a picture? And he says, oh, sure, Chick, come on, you can have a picture. And so Chick hands him the camera and steps aside with his wife to have Chuck take the picture. <laughs> Oh, chick, you know. But see, and I love this. When Ralph, my pastor's pastor, would take chick early on to the pastor's meetings and all these well-known guys who were on the radio, these were the guys. I mean, this is this is when all this was going on in the 70s and 80s in California. And everybody there who was in those circles knew all these guys. And he said to him right away, he says, if you, if you act goofy around these men like they're something, you, I'm not taking you with me. Because these men are nothing like the rest of us. And just this important thing. Ananias comes and he lays his hands on. He's shown to do it. And, and Saul is shown to do it. God's always working on both ends. When it's truly God at work, he's working on both ends. Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard about this man named Saul. I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to the church. How much harm he's done to, look at that phrase, saints in Jerusalem. Now, this is the first place that, that the New Testament believers are called saints, right here. And he has authority from the chief priests 
to bind those that call upon your name. But the Lord said, now think about that. What did Jesus separate? You'll pray to the Father in my name. The Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine. Now, in, in, this is that place of every one of us coming to that place and saying, did, did God choose us as a vessel to go forth and live our lives for him? The call of the gospel to come to him to be saved, but then does Jesus ever leave it there? He gives the commands. He puts calls upon our lives. We're all called to serve him. There's, not, there's none of this spectator uh, thing in church where it's the body and the body serves one another and every member does their part and there's all kinds of ministry and serving and calling and giftings. And you know where this is all shaped? It goes all the way back to here. The Gentile church is the way it is because what God did with Saul and separated him and he sends him forth and tells him, he tells Ananias, he's a chosen vessel that Saul will bear the name of Jesus Christ to Gentiles, to Israel, but right in between there are these kings. Can you imagine who would preach the gospel to Nero? I mean, it's it's almost mind-blowing, but we're told from church history that that's how Saul, Apostle Paul, how he probably, his life was ended, was that Nero probably was the one who put him to death. Now, concerning this threefold ministry, shared with King Agrippa, shared with Nero, powerful ministry to the Gentiles. Hey, when he went back up to Jerusalem to preach the gospel to the Jews, Acts 20, what is that? 20, well, he's going in 20, really 20 through 26, he's preaching to to Israel. And then look at 16. From the beginning, the Apostle Paul knew the things he would suffer. And, he, and this is, again, through Ananias or to Ananias. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, when, when he writes to the church at Philippi, he kind of, at the end, sums up all the things he's counted, how he's accounted for things along the way. He says, I, I count all things loss. What was gained to me before, I counted as loss, as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that's through faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk like that. Not that I've already attained. And I love this phrase. He says, but that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. He tells another church that I would fill up in my body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What would be lacking? The things that hasn't happened yet. Now, who lives like this? And this is why the gospel to sinners and that appeal, you think of Hudson Taylor taking it to China. Again, I mentioned him. Livingstone taking it to the dark continent. Not the color of skin dark, the the spiritual dark continent. And these are the things, and you think of those that took the gospel down to Central America, South America, lost their lives, all these things. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Richard Wormbrandt. Now, I'm only giving the well-known ones, right? How many others nobody ever knew about listened to the Lord, went where they went, and suffered? I love reading those stories that came out of India when, when they would go and they would pray. I love the story of the missionary, right, pastor leading a church, goes to, the, goes to this village, and the Lord says to him, cut down their tree. It's their God. Go cut it down. He, the Spirit told him to chop down, much like Gideon was told to, to take down the, the altar of Baal. 
he goes into this town of, of the Hindus and he cuts their, their tree down. And they, they, within moments, they, they all gather together. They're ready to kill him. And then the Lord, then the Holy Spirit tells them what to say next. This is ahead of the ministry of, of Paul. Ananias went on his way. He enters the house, lays his hands on, on him, and he said, Brother Saul, words that have never probably been spoken ever again. In fact, when Saul comes back to Jerusalem, even the disciples are reluctant to say Brother Saul. You know who, you know who embraces him in Jerusalem? Barney, right? The original son of encouragement, Barnabas. So we come to this place. It all happens. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me. Now, don't you love this? Saul, go into town. You'll show what you must do. What is Saul supposed to do? Ananias shows up. Saul didn't have anything to do, did he? Now, another came and, and brings prayer, laying on of hands, miracle, receiving the sight. And look at that last phrase in 17, filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately. So, again, I, the, I, I get it. We pray for healing a lot. We pray. And, and the thing is, if the person's not healed immediately, I'm not saying there's not going to be a natural process of healing. But the Lord showed Ananias that he would receive his sight. Immediately, he receives his sight. Something like scales, you know, like you know, that which was blinding him. You catch the reference. And he received his sight at once, and he arose when was baptized. When he received food, he was strengthened. Now, I can't help but come to this place to think of the other Saul, King Saul, who was weakened at the state when he went. And instead of seeking the Lord at the most desperate time in his life, he seeks a witch to bring up the dead and to speak to the prophet who had gone before. And here you have this name kind of association. Saul seeks the Lord finds him, receives his sight, receives food, is strengthened. Instead of heading off into death, which is where he would have been headed, now he's heading into life. Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, what was he kicking against? Probably the witness that he had already seen from those who were declaring the Messiah has come, he's the Son of God, and we crucified him. I mean, this is the environment with which he was trying to persecute the way. And now he's preaching Jesus as the Son of God. All who heard were amazed and said, hey, isn't this the guy? Isn't this the man? Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And he's come here for that purpose that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But he's preaching Christ. The, the gang leader who gets saved and starts preaching Christ. The one in prison who was there for murder gets saved in prison and now is leading everybody else to the Lord. That type of thing. See, I'm convinced we come to this place and now guess what? The gospel reaches to the lowest pit, finds some of the most evil people and they hear the gospel and they get saved. On the way to deliver a tractor to uh a ministry that John was supporting down in Mexico, and they would they delivered this tractor down across the border, and they end up in the backwoods of Mexico, and all of a sudden there's, you know, bandana men with you know gorilla type of camouflage. You don't know if it's military or not, and in an instant they're before them, and they have all the guns, and right there, and and confront them, and it's like, what are you doing here? 
And John reaches into his pocket, pulls out a little Bible and says, we have come here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you so you can get saved. God brought us here so you can get saved. And in the face of that, as they're bringing this tractor down, and this guy's right there, and, and he has a split-moment decision what he's going to do, and he just goes for it. And he opens up the Bible to John 3.16 and says this verse, I'm come here to tell you this verse. And he has the guy read it. Right Now, did the guy get saved? No. They didn't lose the tractor, and they didn't lose their lives. They preached Christ unto them, and they left all their Bibles with them. Now, we'll find out in heaven, will we not? But that type of stuff where you're out doing those things that the Spirit says to do, I, I think it's good for the church from time to time to be shaken up, right? And, and this is what happens from time to time. Well, let's continue on. into We really can kind of wrap up from here. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews that dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. So not only is he preaching he's the Son of God, now he starts opening up the scriptures and look at this passage and then rolls another scroll and then maybe has four or five scrolls out and said, look at this over here, look at this. And he begins to prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, when you're confronted as, as a, as a Israel, this is in the synagogues, as, as, as a Jew who studies these scriptures, they're now all of a sudden confronted <coughs> with what is written from someone who is now connecting everything. And now what's the excuse? See, and this is the issue that you will find with the Apostle Paul when he goes out. The Holy Spirit gives him those things. Let's just face it. One or two things happen. When Saul preaches the gospel, people either want to kill him or they want to get saved. Well, what happens in Damascus in the beginning when he's proving Jesus the Christ, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. As he's proving Jesus the Christ, their only answer is what? We, we got to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. They set a guard. Later on, when, when he's actually captured, they would have stoned him right in the temple as he was preaching his testimony and preaching right there. And remember how he was rescued by a Roman guard? And then he was kept by the Romans. And then it was, what was it, 40 men had taken an oath to kill him? They weren't going to eat till they could kill him. I mean, this radical. Now, you see why I like Acts 9 and how the gospel reaches people? And, and well, our churches are not to be, you know, places of polite people that I just hope somebody... To let them know about Jesus so that they don't go to hell. No, you gotta go out and by the Spirit you gotta you gotta reach people. We went to Romke Park because that was the worst place we could think of. And we say, we're not building on another foundation. We didn't go to churches to get people recruit from your church, come to our church, and we'd encounter people. In fact, there were those that were coming to church with us early on. And another church came to their neighborhood door to door and they come in and they weren't evangelizing. They found out they were Christians as you could, you should leave your church and come to our church. I'm like, what is that? We'd find people who go to church, you know, we'd say to them, stay there. And we'd go on to the next person and find, find me someone who's not saved. Now, what happens to him and all this? Well, the disciples took him at night, let him out through a basket, like a little baby. Think, think of Saul, the way he came, you know, with all this authority to hand other people over, and he himself self, escapes by the skin of his teeth, if you will, 
to borrow a reference from the book of Job. And it's a rather disgraceful escape, is it not, from the man who came with all this power and authority? And, and it's humbling. So Saul comes to Jerusalem in verse 26, and he tries to join the disciples. But they're afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. That's the way it reads in 26. And it was Barney. The original, I don't think he was purple, right? Not like the dinosaur. Really, son of encouragement. It's Barnabas. It's Barnabas who finds out and goes and inquires and talks with Saul. And then he brings him to the, he brought him to the apostles. And then he told the apostles how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him, how he had preached boldly in in Damascus in the name of Jesus. And then it occurs that he was with them at Jerusalem and then Saul was accepted in the beloved. Now, that's radical. Now, let's be honest about this. There were many of the hippies who were getting saved back in the day and there was such a transformation of life. But a lot of churches were like, I'm not sure this is real. Same thing happened there with Saul. Same thing happened. I mean, can you imagine you're in church, but you saw this guy selling drugs on the corner the weekend before, and now he's getting baptized. That's what was happening in the 70s and 80s. The gospel went to all these people. Now, I like that part as I wrap this up tonight. And it comes down to it that Jesus was accepted, excuse me, Saul was accepted, coming in, going out, spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, And the Hellenists, so the the Greek culture Jews were having all kinds of problems with him there and they attempted to kill him. This guy, right, everywhere he goes and begins to preach Christ, rubs people the wrong way or the right way. Now, what is it on that edge of what what do we take from this? We, you, you have a choice. If you can look at your life and say, well, my life really hasn't changed much since I got saved by Jesus Christ. I just pretty much do, do the same things and I did this. and I, Or you can come to this and say, what I, and this is how I look at my life. I was running hard away from God to seek my pleasures in my own way in life. And when he saved me, I've done a U-turn on the road of life and now I serve him. I'm not saying we all have the same calling. Like he's called an apostle an apostle to the Gentiles that spreads to the world. I'm not called an apostle, but I had to work out what I meant to be called to be a pastor. How does a pastor live? What does he, how, what's the scriptures say? How do I know I'm called? What do I do? Well, I shepherd the flock of God. I teach the Bible. I, I do the work of an evangelist. I equip the saints for the work of ministry. All these things. And, and you start that. And I, I, don't, I don't polarize people like Saul does. I, that's not my, evidently my calling. I have made people upset when I share the word of God with them. I have people who don't like me and call me names when I, when I hold them accountable to them as believers walking in the word of God. And they get very upset at me. And I just, but what, how have I, did I lie to you that you don't like me? See, I believe that what we learn the most from this is we've all done a U-turn on the road of life. Even if it happened from a young age, and you just have to decide that you know that when you were living in your parents' house and they were raising you in the Lord, you know personally whether you wanted the things of God or not. And so that point where you turn is that I will follow Jesus, he became Lord of my life. Then you've had, a, you've had a drastic change. Don't consider the environment or the place you attended church services the issue. The issue is, do you have a changed life?
and now I serve God. Now I follow him. Because looking around, time's short. Any day now, we could hear a trumpet. Who's going to hear the trumpet? Who heard, the, who heard Jesus talking on that road to Damascus? Well, Saul heard him. Who's going to hear the, the trumpet and the sound of the, 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 the trump of God and, and the, what is it, the voice of the archangel? Who's going to hear that? Well, we will. And everybody else around us were like, what, what happened? Because that's what's coming is the catching away of the church. So, Lord, we ask of you that you would cause us to serve you and love you and what we're called to do, that we would never lose sight of how the gospel comes to us and finds us at the lowest point and we get saved. Lord, you've transformed our lives. You've changed everything about us. And for that, we're forever grateful. And just commit that work of the Holy Spirit to continue in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're at liberty. No second sermon tonight. I gave it all in the first one. That's it.